Welcome to the Bethel Christian Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Eric Capelli. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, let's just turn to the book of Mark, chapter 11. I'll get there in just a moment. This month, we've been speaking about free. What does it mean to be free? Now, the Bible shows us that those who believe in Jesus are free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. No longer to walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So that's why there's no guilt or shame or condemnation. But in that, we learned last week that Jesus has saved us, offering us salvation. We talked high and low of what that really means. And I don't know about you, but Palm Sunday today, I said to all the volunteers before we started, if last week's message did not motivate you to praise, I don't know what will. I said, and if you're not motivated to worship, I'm just going to stick a little flame under your keister, and I'm going to show you a little bit about what that looks like. I have a friend whose dad is an evangelist in the United States. He was ministering at one point, and he said to someone, I just want you to understand, if you don't know Jesus, you will go to hell. The person said, I am not afraid of hell. The dad said, oh, yeah, he took out a match, lit it, and threw it at the person, and they freaked out. If you freak out from a little match, come on. Really, let's get real with one another. Thank God that Jesus saved us. He saved us from death and hell and the grave, but he also saved us from the wrath of God. So we have a reason to rejoice and to celebrate. Today, I want to speak to you about sanctification. It is another biblical word that describes the very work of Jesus in our lives. This word is not popular because it is linked to the concept of holiness. And so in that concept of holiness comes this understanding that we serve a holy God. I'll get on that in just a moment. The term for sanctification as used in the New Covenant or the New Testament is hagiosmos, and it means basically just setting apart. A few months ago, Pastor Zach preached to us about sanctification, and today I'll elaborate on that more. Sanctification in this sense is being set apart from all else and dedicated for Yahweh's use. Now, what does that mean, Yahweh? If you're new to Bethel, new to the Lord, you're watching online, Yahweh is the Old Testament name that we use for God, that he revealed himself, which simply means, but yet very profoundly, I am. Meaning the God of the Bible is all that you need in every situation. He is your deliverer, your healer, your savior, your provider, your eternal life, your king, your lord, your master. Think of it, he is it. However, he goes beyond all that because the God of the Bible is not like any other God. The God of the Bible is not an idol made of wood or stone or anything of that nature, but the God of the Bible is wholly different than you and I. See, before him, nothing was created, nor was any other God created after him, because he is the one and only God. And in the very holiness of God, there is something that he absolutely detests, sin. Oh, pastor, we don't like that word. In the world we live in, we don't call it sin anymore. We just call it mistakes, problems, triggers. No, we call it sin. 
The Bible calls it sin. It is our attempt at, as human beings, where we try to be like God, but we constantly fall short. And because God has seen that, he has provided the remedy. See, God is still in the business of cleaning up lives. He is still in the business of taking people who aren't holy and making them holy. I'll elaborate more on that in a few moments. Now, today is Palm Sunday, the Sunday that starts off what we refer to as Holy Week. Throughout this week, we reflect on the work that Jesus did for us. Today on Palm Sunday, those thousands of years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey as the people gathered around him, laying down their cloaks and offering with palm branches shouts of praise, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it was in that moment in the ministry of Jesus that the people and the religious leaders really began to not like him. See, every other time before that, when Jesus did a miracle, he'd say to people, shh, don't tell anyone. Shh, be quiet. But in this moment, Jesus says, as the people are praising him and the religious leaders are getting a little bit nervous in the service there, they said, no, 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 they should not be praising you. The children should not be praising you. And Jesus says to them, if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out and praise me. And in this moment where Jesus was supposed to be received with joy and gladness into Jerusalem, within a few days after that, they crucified him. The very people shouting Hosanna flipped the switch and began to say, crucify him. This week, and this sobering week that leads us to Holy Thursday, the evening that Jesus was betrayed as he celebrates communion with his disciples, as it leads us to Good Friday, as it leads us to Holy Saturday, the day that Jesus rested in his tomb. And when it comes to Sunday, the day of Easter, the resurrection, we realize that Jesus paid it all. The freedom and the holiness that you and I can experience come because Jesus came to clean us up in ways that we could not clean ourselves. And so today, I wanna to talk to you about the day after Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus cleanses the temple. Mark 11, verse 15 through 17. It says, and they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You have made it into a den of thieves. These are the moments of Jesus where we cannot ignore them. Even biblically speaking, we love this idea, and I do too, don't get me wrong, of Jesus who loves me and holds me, and he is there for me, and he sees me in my sin. But there is also an idea of Jesus from the scripture where he is Lord, he is master, he is the creator, he is holy and separate from all other things, and he gets downright upset and angry. And Jesus determines it is time to clean house. 
Have any of you done your spring cleaning yet? Have any of you started cleaning, getting ready for Easter? I see no shaking, uh-oh. We're in trouble. It's like that moment that we know that spring is coming and Easter is coming and we're hosting an event. We are cleaning in the Jewish faith, in the days leading up to Passover, the day that they celebrated that God delivered them from slavery in Egypt and by the spread blood of a sacrificed lamb, they were redeemed from the angel of death. Jesus walks into that holy week and just like the Jewish people had to clean their homes, Jesus walks in and starts cleaning up the temple. One thing that was not allowed in Jewish homes the week of Passover, and even in modern-day Israel, the Jewish people, some of them in their companies, they export all of their yeast or leaven to another country. Biblically speaking, that yeast or leaven represents sin or the spread of sin in our lives, in our communities, in our churches. And so when Jesus comes in to clean a house, he is not getting rid of the leaven that's on the outside with the bread. Jesus is getting rid of the leaven, the sinful things inside of us as people that need to be cleansed and made holy because he's sanctifying us. But there's a starting point for this sanctification Leonard Ravenhill, one of the most famous preachers regarding holiness, said the following. He said, if Jesus came back today, he wouldn't cleanse the temple, he'd cleanse the pulpit. Can we stop there? See, before I go and point a finger at anyone at church watching online, I will point to myself and I will point to every other preacher across this planet. If we are not preaching the Bible to you from cover to cover, if we are not preaching even the Bible verses our society does not like, we are doing you an injustice. If we ourselves are not living out this word, if we're not breathing it and showing it and demonstrating it, we have failed you. Come on. I don't mind that. I can take that heat. Jesus wants to cleanse his pulpit. Jesus wants to cleanse his word. And my promise that I can only make to you is I will preach the truth and only the truth and nothing but the truth to you. So help me God. And so in that frame of mind, as Jesus steps into the world to sanctify it, He's gonna deal with some things. The first thing that Jesus deals with is the universal problem of sin. Yeah, I mentioned that word again. The word we do not like. Romans chapter three, verses 11 through 18 speaks of the problem of sin within the world. See, you cannot know the joy of salvation. You cannot feel the power and the process of sanctification until you genuinely know that you are a sinner saved by grace. Romans 3, 10 through 18. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are an open grave. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. 
ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I've oftentimes heard, and I'll be honest with you, even within my own culture, Italian-Americans are funny individuals. We can have Uncle Bruno, who goes and bombs someone's vehicle and dies from it, and then at the funeral, we're saying he's in heaven and he's a saint. Come on, can you talk about twisted? That's twisted, people. Like, when people are like, well, you don't know if they got saved in that last minute. No, Bruno was laying a bomb under the car. Yeah, Bruno was not saved when he was putting the bomb there. Come on, I'm being honest with you. And when you grow up and you hear those things, you're like, come on! And we live in a world where we try to say, oh, people are good people. No, people do good things. But everyone, according to the Bible, has sinned. If we were to take the Ten Commandments and hold them up in front of your face this morning, each and every one of us would testify not only to a moment, but to moments where we do not fulfill them. Come on. Because if we could fulfill them, God would have never had to send Jesus. Jesus would have never had to die on a cross. If you and I could be saved in and of our own merit, we wouldn't even need Good Friday. We wouldn't need Easter. But that is why Jesus came. Because you and I couldn't do it. And sin is awful. Come on. The things we think, the things we feel on the inside. And you know what's worse? The things that we do. Come on. And I wish that all of our motives were pure, and I wish the intentions of our heart were in the right place, but the Bible shows us this is not the case. And so sin feels like this nasty mark that we cannot get rid of. And yes, the God of the Bible is holy, and he hates sin. But how should we look at that? Well, I'm a parent. I have three children. Do you know how, for how many years I had to change diapers? 10 years of changing diapers. Do you know how happy we were as parents on the last day we did not have to change a diaper again? Come on. And yes, as a parent, because people would say to me or my wife, oh, after a while, you must get used to it. No, you don't. It stinks every time. And sin is just like that. Sin is like this dirty, filthy diaper, and it stinks really bad. And God does not like that smell. But just like a good and loving parent, Jesus steps in, and he washes, and he cleans, and he prepares so that you don't have to stay in your filth. That's the understanding that we need to develop when it comes to sin and God and the role of Jesus and all of this. We were not left powerless to deal with it on our own. Tim Keller, pastor in New York, said the following. The biblical teaching about sin is one of the strongest arguments for the truth of Christianity that there is. There have been many thoughtful people who abandoned Christianity, abandoned religion, but were pushed back and embraced the faith because there was nothing else except the religious idea of sin that, when they actually saw human evil up close, could not account for human history and human behavior. What is Keller trying to tell us through this? And as much as I am a pastor of the church, in two different countries, because of church-related things, I have had to meet with the police. Yes, 
Yes, I know them. They know me. And the reason we know one another is because of the evil of humanity. And one time an officer said to me, he said, Pastor, I just want you to know, like, we really appreciate you pastors and people because you guys always see the good side of things. But really, in our line of work, we see the bad side of things. I looked at him. I said, sir, I don't know what kind of people you think I deal with, but I deal with people. <laughs> yes? And where you have people, you have legitimate things that go on, struggles and sins and, and all kinds of stuff. But the good thing is, I believe that Jesus steps into the middle of all of that and that he is the solution for human evil. See, we don't talk about that, but Jesus, when he prays the Our Father, he says, deliver us from evil. Do we understand that evil is a real force within humanity? And if we are ignorant to the woes of evil, we never need Jesus. We only needed him once. He cleaned us up and we're good. No, 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 no. As long as you are a living, breathing being, you need the power of Jesus activated in your life every day because the devil wants to bring about evil, not only in the world, but inside of you. And thank God that Jesus can triumph and has triumphed over evil. And so this next part that I want to speak to you about, because we know Jesus is still cleaning temples, is the universal solution of Christ. There's not only a problem, there's an answer. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John the Baptist, as he's bringing the people of Israel back into repentance, and he's calling out things, and people are not happy with them. He's telling the king, you're an adulterer. He's telling people that they're living in sin and that they need to repent and turn around and be baptized because the kingdom of heaven is near. And all of a sudden, John sees Jesus in the distance as Jesus himself is walking to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as Jesus is in the water with him, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes the one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, the power of the Pentecostal church and the belief of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this, that you and I, without the finished work of Jesus, are utterly powerless. Being Christians and being good little boys and girls and little moral police officers is not our calling. Our calling is to be people that are transformed continually by the love and the grace and the mercy of God and that we live out this Christian life empowered by the Holy Spirit. I can't do it on my own. Come on. Just like I said to you, just like Uncle Bruno. I don't have an Uncle Bruno, by the way. I can't say any names because we're on live stream. I'm joking. But there is that sinful Italian DNA running through my veins. Come on. And I need as a person that regenerative power of the Holy Spirit flowing through me so that I can live for Jesus. I need his power. See, Jesus is the great refiner. And sanctification is a process in the life of a believer where God takes you from a life in a world of sin and brings you into his kingdom as a redeemed, washed, and cleansed child of God. But see, as believers, we can't say that we don't have sin in our lives. We can't say that we don't make mistakes. 
First John tells us the following. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, come on, confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all, A-L-L, like the laundry detergent, all unrighteousness. And it is because and only because of Jesus that filthy, dirty people like you and I get a new start and a new life that we become called and chosen and have a holy destiny. The book of Malachi, as it's prophesying the coming of the Messiah, talks about this fire. Because John says, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Well, why is he saying, why is he saying fire there? Well, in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, when it talked about the Messiah coming, it said that he would restore and refine his people. And that there would be two types of fire. One fire would be relegated for the wicked, those that did not want to be washed and not want to be cleaned, and they would burn in those fires eternally. But for those that wanted to be righteous, God's holy fire would burn within them and purify them. So not only is the Holy Spirit of God empowering us as the church, but he is also purifying us on the inside. Now, because Roman Catholic theology didn't understand this, they kind of made this in-between place, purgatory. And they said, when you die, we're going to light candles for you, we're going to pray for you, and we're going to help you get out of there. Listen, you can't light enough candles to get people out of the fires of hell. You cannot pray people out of eternity. Why? Because the Bible says the following. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Meaning there is nothing you can do when people die. As good as you think you are, you cannot pray them out of there. Salvation and sanctification only happen in this life when you choose for yourself to follow Jesus. And let me tell you something, I would rather have the Holy Spirit burn and purify me on the inside right now than be burning in eternity in the fires of the second death. Come on, I want to be pure, I want to be holy, Lord, refine me. So Matthew Henry, in his commentary on Malachi, he teaches us the following. He said, Christ by the gospel shall purify and reform his church. And by his spirit working with it shall regenerate and cleanse particular souls. For this end, he gave himself for the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, Ephesians 5, 26. And to purify himself a peculiar people, Titus 2, 14. Some of you are very peculiar. Christ is the great refiner. As Malachi said, he will wash you like a launderer washes with soap. He'll refine you like a metalsmith refines by fire. Let the Spirit of God, let that be your prayer today. Spirit of God, touch me, refine me. And like John the Baptist said, may I decrease so that you might increase in my life. Jesus has provided a way. As I started saying that the pulpit needs to be cleansed, I also believe in the universal cleansing of the church. I believe that Jesus is cleaning up his church worldwide. And when bad and sinful things happen, do you know that's part of the cleaning process? I don't know what kind of home you grew up in, but we turn things over. I rip the couch up off the floor. 
I remember my mother, she'd remove the, the refrigerator and clean behind it. I don't know if people do that. Yeah? Turning over mattresses. I know in Dutch homes in the, in the springtime, all of the windows get open. And the windows get cleaned on the inside and the outside. And everything, your bedding has to go out the windows, meaning you don't toss it. You air the whole house out. Fresh air comes into the home. And Jesus wants to blow with his fresh wind over his church. Jesus wants to clean the temple of our heart. He wants to turn tables of our thinking of the sin and the things that we accept around us because true holiness begins in the house of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, Paul addresses these issues with the church in Corinth. They're highly spiritual people, but they're very sinful too. He's dealing with a particular issue in the church that is, let's say, not so politically correct to mention. However, he says to the church, how dare you? You have a young man in your church that is sleeping with his stepmother. Uh, we think that things of our modern time are bad? No. Understand the people of Corinth. Understand that even in the early New Testament, people were doing all of the things that you and I wrestle with in society. That's why I want you in the Bible study on the book of Romans. And so when he's writing to the church, he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, regarding the sinfulness that's creeping into the church, he says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast, meaning sin, leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new leavened batch as you really are. For Christ, who is our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. See, Jesus is still cleaning temples. God is still asking that the internal life in each and every believer gets cleaned up and cleaned out. We're so worried about the spring cleaning on the outside, we need a spring cleaning on the inside, amen? amen. And so the Bible shows us further in Corinthians, and I'll read from verse 9 to verse 12, some very telling statements. So if you had, didn't have your seatbelt on, put it on, because this roller coaster is about to go flying. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Yes, I said it. Not all the, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler, do not even eat with such people. Oh, but pastor, we are not supposed to judge. We are not. Oh, well, let's see what our friend Paul has to say about it. Verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. However, expel the wicked person from among you. Oh, I grew up in church, and you guys know when I start saying this stuff, it can get a little dangerous. I watch the church tolerate the poor behavior of believers by just saying, you know, that's just so-and-so. 
You mean sister so-and-so who repetitively gossips, you mean to tell me that that is God's plan? You mean to tell me that the brother in the church that keeps stealing and embezzling money, that's the plan of God, that's a holy man? No! And even when I pastored in a church overseas, I dealt with a situation at one time that grieves me even to this day. I had a woman in the church who tried to justify an extramarital affair. I went to visit her, and when I was visiting her to tell her that she needed to make things right, she said, oh, no, I don't. She said, if Jesus were alive, he would have written a third gospel that allowed me to have another man to be with outside of my husband. I said, honey, let me tell you something. There's an Old and a New Testament, and Jesus has made it clear in both books that you are living in sin, and you need to make things right. She told me, I will do what I want, but you wanna know what made it even worse? The women in my church that hid it from me and the other members in the church that almost encouraged her in this lifestyle. And you know what makes it even worse? Even to this day on social media, she is out with her husband, her boyfriend, and they're going out to dinner together, and I see ladies from my former church saying, congratulations, how lovely it is. I am not kidding. And if you think that that doesn't happen, even here in the good U.S. of A., I have seen Christians tolerate the sins of other believers. Oh, it's all okay, don't worry about it, there's grace, grace, grace. No, there is grace, but we need to make things right. When the Bible says that we should not live in sin, we should not be living in sin. We should step into the light. See, God wants to purify his church. Jesus is still cleaning temples. R.C. Sprawl said the following about this kind of radical holiness of God. He said, loving a holy God is beyond our moral power. Listen well. The only kind of God we can love by our sinful nature, so hear it out, is an unholy God, an idol made by our own hands. And then it says, unless we are born of the Spirit of God, unless God sheds his holy love in our hearts, unless he stoops in his grace to change our hearts, we will not love him. To love a holy God requires grace. Grace strong enough to pierce our hardened hearts and awaken, and it should say, our morbid souls. We need grace, people. Each and every one of us need grace. As we said, there is none not righteous. As King David prayed, Lord, if you were to mark our transgressions, who would stand? But thank God for the grace of Jesus that God sees me through the righteousness of Christ. And when I fumble and when I mess up, I can run to my Savior. And what that also means is that, yes, if I cause problems, I need to still make those things right because that is what repentance is all about. Repentance is turning away and living a new life. You cannot do that in your own power. You need the Holy Spirit. And I believe that our modern church needs something that I once knew as a child and a teenager. They called it carpet burn. Do you remember carpet burn in churches? Do you know what carpet burn is? It's when you get on your face at these altars and you begin to make things right with God because you know that there is sin in your life. 
You know that you are fostering pet sins. You know that there are habitual things that are going on. You know that you are not living right with Christ. And guess what? He wants to provide that way of escape. And I ask you and plead with you, run to Jesus. Let him cleanse you. His blood is able. See, his blood is so powerful. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. It's still that blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. Why do I say all of these things to you? Jesus began to clean up the Father's house. And he said the following words, which I think are important, because Jesus isn't just cleaning for no reason. When Jesus does stuff, it is deliberate. When Jesus is cleaning up the Father's house, he says that my Father's house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Something was about to change within the Judeo-Christian understanding. The Jews, the only ones who could be saved at that moment other than those who became transplant Jews, all of a sudden the gospel message opens up for all people. The book of Revelation, the book that shows us the end of all things in the eternal kingdom of God, shows us in Revelation 7, 9 through 10, it shows us Palm Sunday, but then with an eternal perspective. Jesus was cleaning for a reason. It says in verse 9, and after this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation, Hosanna, belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Jesus went through an awful Palm Sunday, and he began to clean the Father's house so that you and I could enter in for eternity. Jesus paid it all. If we could stand with one another this morning, I'll close off with one last thought. We'll pray and we have a worship song to sing with one another. After that, we have some important announcements for the upcoming week, so don't run away. I also need some burly dudes and ladies to help us move three benches in the back for this upcoming Easter. So if I can get some helpers to see Pastor Rina, that would be great. But Brian McLaren said the following. He said, when you are a disciple, you understand that you are cleansed by Christ. You understand that Christ died in your place on the cross, paying for your sins fully forgiving you for all of your wrongs. You are cleansed from guilt, and you are becoming a cleaner, healthier, and more whole person. Because of that blood of Jesus that flowed 2,000 years ago, I will stand in that picture in the book of Revelation. I will stand with that multitude dressed in white with palm branches in my hand. I don't have to worry about the second death. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. This morning, if you need to clean the temple, and that's kind of said symbolically, but you know what I'm getting at. 
If there are sins or things in your life that you need Jesus to scrub you clean today, while every head is bowed and eye is closed, I want you to just raise your hand and say, yes, pastor, I need a cleaning today. Like a car that needs to go through a car wash, I need a cleaning today. I need Jesus to cleanse me with his blood, wash me afresh and anew. If you're watching online and you need a cleaning, just lift up your hand and say, Lord, begin to clean me. Jesus, just like you went into the temple and overturned the tables, Jesus, overturned the thoughts in my mind, the sinful habits in my life, the actions and the motives of my heart that have waned cold. Jesus, fill me afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. Clean me up on the inside. Clean me up, Jesus. Clean me up so that on that day you will see me with the righteousness of Christ. And there I looked, and I didn't have to be in heaven. And I saw a great multitude of men and women here at Bethel Christian Church from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Let's give them praise, church. Let's begin to lift up our hands and let's praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Begin to worship him in your own words. Begin to praise him as Caitlin leads us in a song. Victor's crown, let's sing with one another. Thanks for tuning in to the Bethel Christian Church Message of the Week. Head to BethelCC.org to stay up to date with everything that's going on at Bethel Christian Church.